1: I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Open your mind. Exercise your imagination. This week, Bill S. Ballinger's study of A Deadly Obsession, Fourth of Forever, starring John Deter and Susan Oliver, in Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour.
2: Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Zero Hour. Sponsored in part by Wrigley Gum, Sinoff, and Ford Motor Company. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio.
1: James Marius, a man on the run running both to and from, from the law that says he must answer for a dead man, to find Lou Jackson, a mystery woman, to be sure, one whose trail leads to only dead ends, an empty apartment, a telltale painting, a telephone number, and a dying hope for tomorrow. James Marius, a man whose tomorrows are in danger of becoming condensed into one long stretch of time, He's a man driven by a relentless obsession to protect and recover a lost dream. A dream capable of lifting him up and away from all that is real. A murdered man, prison for life, and eternal solitude. For James Marius, the running has only just begun. First to win, second to place, third to show.
3: I don't know how long I was out. I had no way of measuring time. I just remember waking suddenly and feeling the cool concrete under my back. I opened my eyes and saw only a bright naked light blazing down on me from the ceiling. And I sensed a presence in the room. Suddenly a face dipped into my line of sight. I couldn't make out the features. Only teeth. Sleep well, Marius. What does a killer dream about? Easy, Harry. We could be here a while. Gotta be smart and talk fast. Then we can all go home except Marius here. He's not going anywhere. Not for a
2: long, long... Lay off him, Harry. Come on, sit down. You too, Marius. Grab a seat. Now,
3: maybe we can get down to business. We'd just like a few answers. You don't have to answer my questions. You got a right to an attorney. You understand? Yes, The New York cops have a few questions for you, Jimmy boy. You can give us a few answers and rack up a few points for yourself or take what's coming to you. Why not let the New York cops ask me? Of course I'm asking. Cool off, Harry. We got a worse guy here, Ed. Very funny fellow. Well, let's just see who
2: laughs last. Okay, that's enough. Marius, you're being extradited to New York. Now, they'll ask you these questions there, too. You're in pretty deep trouble as it is. You might think about cooperating. We're waving the stolen car charge, you know. But you know why you're here.
1: Where'd you dump a gun? What gun? What gun? That toe you shot one on the back of the head with your
3: punk. That gun. I don't know what you're talking about. Huh? Well, maybe I can help you remember. Hey. Okay, Harry, that's enough. Now, let's not blow
2: it. Just give me five minutes with him, Ed. Wait outside if you can't watch. Forget it, Harry. I only have two questions for him. Will you tell us what happened to the gun? Do you want to confess to the murder of Theodore Warren? Okay. Take
1: him back to his cell.
3: I had to confide in someone. I took a chance on Leroy Grimes and told him I was up on a murder charge, but I thought I might be innocent. I didn't say why. Warren had been killed with a 32. It was a 38 I'd dropped in his room. There was no mention of a 38. And they said Warren was shot in the back of the head. It didn't make sense. The next day I had a visitor. The jailer took me to a conference room. A sheet of heavy plate glass partitioned the table where I sat. And across from me through the glass sat a tall, middle-aged man. His curling, dark hair was laced with gray. He was well-dressed. I'd never seen him before. The jailer stepped outside and stationed himself just out of earshot. I just sat and waited until... Mr.
4: Marius, I'm Ethan Lloyd. I've been retained as your attorney. If you agree.
3: I don't have any money.
4: My fee has already been paid. Who we'll paid you? I don't know. Perhaps you do. This morning, a messenger delivered this letter to my office. It's typed and unsigned. Dear Mr. Lloyd, herewith is a cashier's check for $3,500 to retain your services in behalf of James Marius, who is now held in Los Angeles County Jail. He's charged with the murder of Theodore Warren in New York City. I'm a friend of Mr. Marius and have always admired a gambling man. Please show him this letter as it may help him feel more at ease in accepting your services. Does this mean anything to you?
3: I think so. I accept your offer to defend me.
4: Well, I'll do what I can. You must understand, however, that I won't actually represent you at your trial in New York. Why not? Well, I'm not a member of the New York State Bar. Your defense can be handled more ably by a qualified attorney familiar with the New York State Code. I know of several excellent men there, and I'll arrange for one of them to represent you. But we uh, might as well start thinking about your defense now. Tell me what happened.
3: I told Lloyd what happened, or just about all of it. I didn't mention Lou, by name or even indirectly. I said nothing of the plans and the rest of it.
4: When I'd finished, Lloyd said... There uh, are some big holes in your story, Mr. Marius. You're not telling me everything.
3: I'm telling you the truth.
4: So far as it goes. But you're not telling me all the facts. From your story, how could Warren have been shot in the back of the head? He was facing you. I don't know.
3: And how come... The cops are looking for a 32. Didn't they find a 38? It was still in the room when I ran out.
4: How much have you told the police? Nothing. Now, that's good. Anything you have to say, say only to me. Oh, I'm going to leave a copy of today's paper with the jailer. He'll give it to you. I'll be in touch with you every day. Oh.
3: Back in my cell, I read the story about my arrest. There was also a short interview with Warren's widow. She'd never heard of me or couldn't identify me from a photograph. That was about all, except it was speculated that Warren left an estate of an estimated $10 million. Grimes, my cellmate, was impressed that I had Ethan Lloyd for an attorney. He told me Lloyd was the best and the most expensive. He said I was sure to get off with 20 years and be eligible for parole in seven My one consolation was that Lou hadn't abandoned me. She must have sold the painting to raise legal funds. 2,555 nights. Seven years of not seeing Lou. The prospect was intolerable. The pain unbearable. If that was the best, it wasn't good enough. There had to be another way. There just had
5: to be. Spearmint gum, 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 gum. Wrigley's Spearmint gum. Carry the big fresh flavor, wherever you go, whatever you do, it's the finest pack of flavor.
2: Flavor this big shouldn't be left behind. So wherever you go, carry a pack of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. It's the finest spearmint flavor. The great, Wrigley taste.
4: Delicious to chew. Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. Carry it with you. Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. Sinus flares up. Sometimes your whole face aches. When you need occasional help, get sign-off Tablets, the sinus medicine. Sign off works with a full dose of pure aspirin for sinus headache, plus a sinus drainer for congestion. That's how sign off helps sinus pain while you drain. Help sinus pain while you drain. Take sign off only as directed. S-I-N-E-O-F-F, the sinus medicine in the bright red box.
3: confined with each other either become good friends or dire enemies. In the weeks I spent a wedding expedition to New York, I shared cigarettes, papers, magazines, extra food luxuries supplied by funds from Lloyd with Leroy Grimes. Grimes had spent most of his adulthood in crime, so he instructed me in the ways of jails, prisons, jailers, and wardens. I lost my suspicions of him, and we became good friends. And one morning I was brought a new suit of clothes and informed that two New York detectives were waiting to take me back. While I changed, Grimes watched me glumly. Uh, look, just remember, don't let them grind you down. If I'm not around, they won't be able to. You're going to try to bust out? Yeah, I thought about it. Haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> Every con does. Look, don't get sore if I say so, but I didn't think of you that way. Why not? Well, you just ain't the type. I ain't the type to be here either. I don't mean that you are, Leroy. Oh, but I am, Jim. I am. Well, I'd have to have the chance and a little luck, Leroy. Is my tie straight? Mm, yeah. Well, what's that? Where did you get that? I've been keeping it in my mattress for the right occasion. Right, <laughs> sharp, ain't it? Well, what is it? A knitting needle? Well, you won't get in any sewing where you're headed. But it works pretty good on locks, though. I don't know how to pick locks. You know how to kill a man, don't you? Yes, I guess I do. Come here closer. See, work it in the sleeve of your jacket,
1: just above the cuff. Nobody will find it. Oh, hey,
3: I forgot something. This overcoat button, made out of bone about the size of a quarter... Here, take it. Well, what's this little hole drilled in it? Put the big end of the needle in it. Fits good. With the button on the end, you can jab the needle way in real hard. In a temple or back of an eye. It's better than a knife. Well, like you say, if you get the chance and a little luck. Thanks, Leroy. Uh, here, keep the rest of this carton of smokes. No, yes. no, sir, Jim. You keep them. You're going to need them. Well, I guess this is it. Yeah, well, been right fine knowing you, Marius. I'll, uh, I'll read about you in the papers up in Quentin. Yeah, hope it's not in the obits. Goodbye, Leroy. And thanks. Good luck. turned over to the custody of the two New York detectives. One was a young guy, blonde, blue-eyed, tall, Name of Hodges. The other was Blackie Schwartz, stocky, tough, middle-aged, with 20 years on the force. Schwartz wore a revolver in plain view and walked behind Hodges and me. My right wrist was cuffed to Hodges' left. They drove me to Lax, Los Angeles International Airport, to await a flight back to New York. I knew if I were to escape, it would have to be before I got on the plane. Blackie had arranged with the airline for us to board before the other passengers. We had nearly an hour before flight time. Hey, Hodges, would you mind if we stopped at the washroom?
4: You can wait till we get on the plane.
3: Yeah, but they keep the washrooms locked while they're on the ground. What do you think, Blackie? It's okay, we got plenty of time. I was thinking fast. I'd worked the needle from my sleeve during the ride in from jail to the airport. I had it in my left pocket with the button. The end of the needle was set in a small hole. I kept my left hand in my pocket, grasping it. And when we reached the washroom, it was a big room, all white tile. Luckily, we were alone. Blackie watched our every step. I was hoping Hodges embarrassed easily. Hey, I'm not going in there with you. Well, no, take the cuffs off. I don't like this. No, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not that stupid.
4: You just leave the door open.
3: As soon as Hodges unlocked the cuffs, I grabbed him and pulled him inside. The door swung shut, like Blackie's face. I had Hodges in a headlock with my right arm. My left hand held a long needle at the corner of his eye. One little jab, Hodges. One little jab and this needle goes right into your brains. You want to be a hero? No. Blackie. Drop the gun, Schwartz. I jabbed this needle a little way and your partner's blind for life. All the way. It's all over. If you wait here as long as you can, Barry. Yes, you can't hold him forever. Maybe not, but I've got nothing to lose. Drop the gun on the floor and kick it in here. Can you move, Hodges? Uh, Enough to. I your... don't know. You better do as I say, Blackie. You know what? what? Ah!
5: Hodges, you all right? Get him the gun, Blackie, please.
3: That's playing it smart, Blackie. Now open the door. Real slow. That's it. Now, you and Hodges, just put your arms around this post... while you try on these irons for size. I took the keys... and left Schwartz and Hodges handcuffed to the post... And gagged with shreds of Hodges' shirt. They wouldn't be following me for a while... I relieved Blackie of his expense money and I left. Outside the washroom in the busy terminal, I easily lost myself in the crowd. I got in a cab and told the driver to take me to the San Fernando Valley, North Hollywood. I got out and started walking.
2: Mustang 2, undoubtedly the right car at the right time. Built smaller than the original Mustang with a thrifty four-cylinder engine that's easy on gas. Mustang 2 is light in weight, richly appointed, has rack and pinion steering, bucket seats, four-speed transmission and tachometer. All standard. Mustang 2 sticker price is 28 excluding dealer prep destination charges, title, and taxes. Mustang 2, it's luxury plus economy at your local Ford dealer. The Zero Hour continues after this. Be prepared. Are you ready to get more? Be
5: prepared. Are you ready to take the lead? Because if you ain't, we'll take care of the futures of our stars. i going to tell about the butcher man uh-huh.
2: Tell them, you know, if you're 18 or older, you can help a lot of guys be prepared by being a leader in scouting. I mean, a fella, scouting today's a lot more than you think.
5: Be prepared. Are you ready to-
3: I was sure that Schwartz and Hodgins had the alarm out for me. Not only the LAPD, but the county sheriffs and the highway patrol would be alerted. I needed somewhere to hide out and quickly ducked down a side street. I had no destination, just kept walking. And then in my aimless path, I spotted a for sale sign planted in the brown, overgrown yard of a small frame house with a shake roof and plastered salt and pepper stucco. It was exactly like a thousand others in the valley, only unmistakably vacant. I kept on walking, but the idea grew. Not far away, I came upon a supermarket. I bought a big bag of supplies with practically the last of the money I'd taken from Blackie. Canned foods, six-pack of beer, can opener, and two heavy, full-sized beach towels. I had a phone call to make. The number I'd gotten off the cart at Rothman's just before I'd been picked up. There was a pay phone at the gas station on the corner. Hello? <clears throat> Miss Lucille Jackson. Hello? Uh, does Lucille Jackson live there?
0: No, not Jackson. Who is this? Camela
3: de Mait. Well, is anyone else at home?
0: Nobody's here but me.
3: Well, maybe I have the wrong number. Well, whose home is this?
0: If you don't know who you call, I'll not tell you.
3: Another dead end. Still no way to reach Lou. I had one more call I could make and had another dime ready when two highway patrol units rolled into the parking lot. As casually as I could, I took my bag of groceries and backtracked the exact route I'd taken before to the vacant house I'd seen. Dusk was falling and I could see no one who might see me, so I checked the doors and windows. It was locked up tight. What was a little breaking and entering after what I'd been through. I waited a few minutes to be sure no one had heard me and climbed in through the broken kitchen window. I sat on the cold floor well below window level and opened a can of beans. I ate them cold from the can with my fingers and washed them down with a warm beer. Exhausted, I wrapped myself in the two beach towels and started to drift off. I waited until noon the next day before leaving the house. At that hour, the neighborhood was empty and the supermarket crowded. I use the same payphone as before.
0: This is Miss Hendon, business office. May I help you?
3: Uh, Yes. Uh, I think uh, there's an error in my bill. Uh, There's a charge of $7.70 for a long distance called to Denver. I don't know anyone there.
0: What is your number?
3: Uh, It's 761-4699.
0: Just a moment, please. I don't see it listed on your account.
3: For the third of last month? No. Ah. That's odd. It's right here. Well, could you have sent this bill to the wrong address? Uh, what street number do you have listed for me?
0: One, three, five, five, Palomar Drive, North Hollywood.
3: Yeah, that's correct.
0: Uh, send us your remittance, less that charge, and I'll make a note of it.
3: Well, we will do. Thank you. Now I have the address and one thread of hope. Whoever did live there could offer a clue to Lou's whereabouts. I left the supermarket and walked to a nearby movie theater. I sat through the feature twice, waiting for the night to come. Behind the theater was a parking lot with wooden racks with seven bicycles. I smashed a cheap padlock on one and rode off. I figured the North Hollywood address to be about three miles away. I couldn't risk a taxi. I pedaled along keeping away from the main, well-lighted, heavily-traveled streets. At an intersection, a black-and-white patrol car pulled up alongside me. And the cop driving gave me a curious look. Saving gas? Uh, my, my wife says I'm getting fat. Well, you're going to be stiff tomorrow. <laughs> I already am. Well, you should get a reflector so you don't get run down. I watched him pull away and turn the corner. Luckily, Palomar Drive was nearby. I left the bike behind some camellia bushes. The house was a small Mediterranean style villa set back in a lawn dominated by green trees. I walked up the shrub lined drive, which curved in a sweep to the door. From the drawn shades, I saw the soft illumination of lights. At the door, I adjusted my jacket and then rang the bell.
2: listening to Mutual's presentation of The Zero Hour.
1: Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense, Fourth of Forever. I'm Rod Serling and this is The Zero Hour. Today's
2: episode brought to you in part by Wrigley Gum, Sinoff, and Ford Motor Company. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. And once again, rest your eyes and listen here. To The Zero Hour. This is the Mutual Radio Network.